0: Welcome to this podcast from Neurogastroenterology and Motility. It publishes original research and topical reviews on basic and clinical aspects of gastrointestinal sensation and motility, as well as brain-gut interactions. So welcome everyone to this month's podcast from Neurogastroenterology and Motility. My name's Adam Farmer and I'm a gastroenterologist at the Wingate Institute in London. This month it's my great pleasure to welcome Professor John Furness. John's a professor of anatomy and neuroscience at the University of Melbourne and has wide-ranging interests, from the effect of nutrients and food components on gut health, to the role and pharmacology and indeed therapeutic potential of ghrelin. So John, welcome uh, to this month's podcast and congratulations to you and your co-authors on your paper entitled, Sight and Mechanism of Colokinetic Action of the Ghrelin Receptor Agonist, HMO1. So John, what do we know about the effects of ghrelin agonists on gastrointestinal motility and what's their mechanism of action?
1: Well, the effects on the large bowel are quite clear and have been shown with agonists of different chemistries that act on the glow receptor. And there, in both animal models and in some human studies, it's been shown that there is an increase in defecation, increase in emptying of the colorectum. Other effects have been reported, such as increase in gastric Emptying and some anti-ileus effects. It's not really clear uh, how these occur, and they they may in fact be indirect effects. For example, gran and gran agnes are strong stimulants of appetite, and we know that when there's appetite, when appetite increases, there's a cephalic phase, and you get some increase in um, activity in the upper GI tract. Trying to use agonists for the large bowel has so far looked successful. Trying to use agonists to increase gastric emptying or to reduce ileus have produced variable results and in general the pharmaceutical industry has moved away from those attempts.
0: So, so we know from Richard McCullum's work that eulamorelin uh, 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 has been shown to reduce the frequency and severity of nausea and vomiting, as well as overall gastropoietic symptoms in, in diabetics. But why hasn't this really been, been developed further?
1: Well, I think the first thing to say is that that's now quite recently been confirmed with another drug, Uh This is from Camilleri's group. And... Um, And so with two compounds of quite different chemistries, um, a reduction in the and vomiting has occurred. So it looks like this is something that will will occur um, independent of the chemistry. Yulimorin had some disadvantages because um, it's applied intravenously, which is not a really convenient way to give a drug for... Um, conditions that are really not threatening the patient too much and also has a fairly complicated chemistry. It's a large macrolide. Um, so the, the reasons might be that it, it just wasn't the best drug to move forward with, whereas it looks as though the rather well, simpler compound, relamoralin, will be used. So I think the, the target is still a valid one, and um, I expect that, um, that some of the companies will, will move forward in this area, but, but Yulimolin may, may end up not being the compound of choice.
0: And I think you've previously demonstrated uh, in your group uh, around it having effects on blood pressure, is that right?
1: Yes, yes. Um, yulimolin uh, appears to have some off-target effects, although these are at uh, higher doses, and whether that would End up uh, going against use of this drug, I'm not sure. Um, so I think the, the general idea that um, compounds acting on ground receptors might be useful in dealing with noise and seems valid because two compounds of quite different chemistries have been reported as having, having the same effect.
0: So that brings us nicely on to HMO1. So could you give me some background to this and what are its differences in its um, chemistry and and indeed mechanism of action?
1: So uh, HMO1 is a a small molecule um, agonist. Its Uh. mechanism of action was not really quite clear and is one of the reasons we started looking at it. Uh, It it turns out that um, HMO1 is more potent than many of the other compounds that have been tested. That gives hope that it might be have um, greater specificity. Generally, you know, this is a very broad generalisation, but generally, the more potent a compound at the target, the more likely you are to have um, a specificity over off-target effects. The other thing about um, HMO1 it's readily orally available, so it has advantages over compounds that might be uh, injectables.
0: Uh, absolutely, I think that's a, a real attraction of the, of the compound. So what was your hypothesis as you embarked on your study?
1: Well, uh, it wasn't so much a hypothesis, it was seeking to understand the mechanism of action because it had been suggested that the cholokinetic actions of HMO1 were due to an action in the hypothalamus or in the brainstem. Whereas other compounds of uh, the acronym's receptor had been shown to act in the non bisacral area in the defecation center. So we wanted to see whether it did indeed have its primary action in the hypothalamus or, or in the brainstem. And also interested in another property of compounds acting at these receptors in that they tend to desensitise. We didn't know whether a compound with another chemistry might desensitise. In the end, what we did find is that its primary action in colorectal activity is in the lower spinal cord. Uh, It might have some actions at other sites, but that's where its primary effect is. It is very potent when given um, to, to animals at least, and but unfortunately, it also desensitises. So the desensitisation is probably a property of the receptor and post-receptor mechanisms, and is uh, independent of the chemistry of the agonist. So we, we, we're sort of stuck in the way with all of these compounds having a tendency to desensitise with successive applications.
0: So how would you, um, um, or rather, what methods did you use to, to investigate those findings?
1: Well, we use a method that's been standardised as a as a screen, and this is to use um, rats and to measure uh, colorectal propulsive activity and emptying. The reasons we did that is because the other compounds that have gone into uh, clinical testing had been screened in that way, and we knew that, um, uh, for for example, capromolarin, which has been tested, um, that if it, if it was effective in the rat, it was likely to be effective in the human as well. So it was a very simple way of going ahead with the studies. Obviously, um, you have to move much further forward uh, into um, uh, human trials and under similar circumstances.
0: Super, so what what do you think were your, your key findings, just to summarize those again
1: briefly? Well, well, quickly, um, <laughs> the, the key findings it's a potent compound, it's orally active, It is has good central penetrance, it has major actions on the, the spinal um, defecation centers. They're the, they're, the, they're the real key results.
0: And, and what do you think in terms of um, moving this forward now? What do you think are the, the key next steps in, in developing this compound, maybe even for clinical use?
1: Well, I think that um, first of all, if we compare with what's been done, some other compounds um, they've been they've been tested in humans in say in spinal cord injury, uh, in animal studies um, the HMO1 has been tested in animal models of Parkinson's disease in both and in some studies a functional constipation in which um, constipation in animals has been induced by um, low-fibre diet, these compounds have been used and effective. The only human study of um, constipation has been one done by the Camilleri group and one done uh, in spinal cord injured patients who have a, a constipation. In both cases, the compounds had some effectiveness, but the studies are small and... Uh, And the other indication, Parkinson's, uh, has not been tested, although um, preclinical work has been done with HMO1 in Parkinson's. So I think these these classes of compounds have um, good potential, and I I suspect HMO1 is one of the most likely of these to succeed because of its its potency lack of side effects so far discovered <laughs> you never know what's turns up <laughs> so far no, no side effects and um, as I said it's uh, really all uh, um, availability
0: so, so in the broader sense of the, of the field where do you think the, the knowledge gaps uh, lie currently and how, how should we go about resolving those uh, in the future
1: ok I think the major knowledge gaps uh, we're uncertain of the effectiveness of these types of compounds in humans with repeated dosing because all the studies have been done so far have been short term and we need to know whether these compounds have longer term side effects or whether they, um, with repeated dosing, um, will lose effectiveness but we don't know that also we don't know and we need to know whether compounds that promote um, defecation in humans are going to be effective in all types of constipation and particularly long term constipation where the bowel itself might deteriorate and you get a sort of flaccid bowel syndrome, it might be that these compounds fail to act. They may be useful if the constipation is not long-standing, so we don't know that. We need to know, you know, what what types of patients might be responsive, what stage of their disorder they might be responsive in, and whether repeated use of these compounds is going to be effective, and whether repeated use might reveal some side effects. So there's, there's quite a lot of unknowns, even though there's good clues that we might be on the right track.
0: But I, but I think overall uh, within the field, it's a really exciting uh, time with um, you know the new secretagogues that we've now got available in the in the clinic and, and indeed new uh, compounds that are, that are being developed. So, John, with that, I'd like to thank you and your other co-authors for a really excellent paper and indeed for assisting in this month's podcast and also our listeners for, for tuning in. And I look forward to welcoming you again on another instalment uh, next month. Thank you. Further information about this paper can be found on the journal website. We hope that you have enjoyed this podcast and we look forward to welcoming you to next month's
1: edition.